Thank you for joining us for this next year turnaround restructuring and insolvency podcast series. We'll be exploring global issues that affect the world economy. I'm your host, Rebecca Harding, and I'll be joined by a selection of experts from around the world in firms that are all part of the Nexia International Network, and all of whom are leaders in turnaround, restructuring and insolvency. Nexia International is a leading global network of independent accounting and consulting firms. All of the experts appearing on this show can be contacted via the Nexia International website. Thank you. Today, I'm with the incredibly interesting Scott Stewart, who's CEO of the Turnaround Management Association. He'll be looking at the current global situation for businesses and for their advisors. Right, Scott, welcome. How are you? Hey, Becca, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How's it there? Is it nice and sunny? Is it warm? It's really hot here at the moment. Well, yeah, it's summertime, summertime, fun in the summertime. Yeah, it's you know, Chicago, Chicago, USA is a great place to be in the summertime and uh, weather's been awesome the last couple of weeks. So we're in our, we're, we're in our groove. Excellent. So tell me about how you came to be at the Turnaround Management Association. I mean, you've been a long time in the industry. So just give us a bit of an outline of how you got there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, been in the industry for over 30 years and I was a volunteer in the Turnaround Management Association for more than 15 of those 30 years. And I rose from volunteer to CEO, and it's it's been a wonderful story and an incredible journey. So, I mean, the, you're really trying to make it more of a place for thought leadership at the moment, aren't you? And that's been a bit of your defining sort of purpose in the role. So why do you think that's really important for the industry? Thought leadership is take, takes on a couple of different levels. Thought leadership is about mentoring, teaching, understanding, and exchanging ideas. But that's not just for the outside world. That's also for the people in the industry. So thought leadership is as important internally to make each other better as professionals as it is externally for the teachings and mentorship we can do for others, both coming into the industry and to the clients that our professionals serve because of the exchange of ideas that we within the organization share with each other. Right. So what do you see coming in the future of the industry? I mean, are the things that you, you looking at now and you think this is definitely what I can see is going to happen? Yeah, great question. Rough ride uh, ahead. I think that coming out of the pandemic, when the entire world was blanketed with uh, stimulus mo- money, wherever you look in the world, it created a safety net and a necessary safety net to stave off what could have very well been a worldwide depression. So notwithstanding that there was some criticism with the amount of money that was placed into the economy around the world, it created a a necessary pause as we navigated a hundred year event. The issue now is that coming out of that hundred year event, there's no more stimulus money. uh, And now we're going into a period where we're going to have to manage uncertainty and industry volatility. And these things were expected. Things like mismanagement, money mismanagement, uh, fraud, uh, normal, normal negative cyclicality. Those are things we all expected. The things we didn't expect were stubborn inflation, uh, the, particularly in Europe, the unevenness of uh, debt ratios from country to country. Uh, the the value of money becoming a little bit wonky and the fact that 
the war in, in Ukraine has exacerbated issues, particularly with respect to energy and agriculture. So we were coming into an environment that was going to be rocky as expected, but that's now exacerbated by a lot of excess factors that were not on the horizon and were likely not going to cause a recessionary period until maybe second quarter of 2023. But most recently, a study that Financial Times actually did where surveyed uh, economists from around the world, there seems to be a pretty uniform feeling that most of the globe will be in some recessionary period by the end of uh, 2022 into early 2023. And I think people are getting their head around the fact that this period of of global instability is going to last through 2023 and maybe beyond. Uh, It's interesting because I was in the US a few weeks ago and the businesses that I was with then were saying that they felt they were already into recession. Do you think they were small businesses, very small businesses? Do you think that that's how it's feeling on the ground in the US? Absolutely. And I think that's been, again, exacerbated, particularly by high energy prices and higher inflation than than anybody expected. We lived in a period where inflation was artificially low for a long period of time, and money was basically free for a generation. So it wouldn't have been so unexpected or irrational to live in an environment of three to five percent interest rates and inflation at three or four, maybe even five percent. Nobody saw inflation approaching double digits coming. Nobody saw a six dollar here in the U.S. six dollar a gallon fuel prices basically across all of the uh, all of the U.S. Uh, the effects on uh, disposable income, um, and of course we're still managing the problems that we knew existed in labor shortage, supply chain issues, and the normal, as I said, the normal industry cyclicality that we had expected coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, the approaches in in countries have been very different. I mean, you mentioned it before. Do you think that sort of variance across the world is also making things more unstable um, because in some ways we're behaving all the same way you know we've we've got this global community now but then when the economics in different countries are different do you think that contrast is actually making things harder absolutely and the difference between let's compare the us to europe for just a moment the us is one country with one central bank the eu and the uk while the EU is one entity of sorts, the economic stresses from country to country are radically different and not controlled by a central monetary system in the same way that the US is. So the problems in Europe are now becoming a lot more stressful because of that uh, decentralization of how economies operate independent from each other versus the United States with the entire country is one country under one federal banking system, and we're trying to address uh, these issues in that way. I think the the issues are equally as complex, but I think that the stresses in Europe are going to uh, are going to create uh, stresses that have not been navigated in the past and are going to be a learning in real time uh, after, like I said, a, a generation of consistency that's existed. Uh, in in those economies. 
With the political systems as well across the world, I mean, particularly in the West, I've heard it said, and it was actually on the radio this morning, that the way that we structure our our systems is just encourages short-term thinking rather than long-term thinking. With the finances, it is at the moment, the, the impact of COVID, we've got things like climate change starting to affect us. Um, and, and all the changes that COVID has brought in, like the home working, which is knocking onto real estate. Do you think we really need to start thinking in a much more long-term way about the way we run businesses, the way we run our societies, and and ultimately how we we therefore help our businesses within our communities? Well, I think that's a great question and a very interesting question. It's always better to have a longer-term view, but how you define long-term is also complex because economies change and political rule changes and that affects how businesses can conduct themselves. So it's always good to have a three to five year plan that you ideally can execute on. But unfortunately, we live in a short term world where within a dime, a government can change, fiscal policy can change, the value of the euro, the pound, the dollar can change. And all of that can change the dynamics of how a particular industry is working. For example, the uh, high prices of energy and high inflation have affected disposable income around the world. And here in the U.S., that is having a profound impact on the retail sector, that the retail sector wasn't prepared for because they knew there'd be some bumps in the road, but those bumps in the road all of a sudden became Mount Everest. And so you can have a, you can have a long-term strategy in place to get flipped on its ear from the unknown. And right now there's a lot more unknowns than anybody saw on the horizon. Yeah, no, absolutely. And how does a business protect itself from that? What what would you advise businesses to do? I mean, how do they insulate themselves from that flip like we had with COVID? You ask a really interesting question and I'll give you a personal example. I had had bought furniture from a mid-century furniture warehouse that during the pandemic, because of supply chain shortages, they actually increased their business uh, 500 times fall during the pandemic because they actually had inventory and they had people who would refurbish that inventory and deploy it. And then they got stimulus money on top of it. And the business people, the business people in that business said to me, knowing that I was uh, had a restructuring background, well, you know, we're really good at furniture. We're not good at managing money. What should we do? I said, what you should do is get somebody to help you manage money so that you can navigate the headwinds that will be inevitable when the dust settles from the boom you're experiencing now and the competitive landscape comes back. And that's exactly what that person did. So the moral of the story is be proactive and be thoughtful. I think a lot of a lot of small and mid-sector businesses who were the beneficiary of stimulus money didn't act prudently. Which is why when uh, at the opening of this podcast, when I talked about money mismanagement, it's a big problem. Money mismanagement was easy to do because when you have a lot of money and you can spend a lot of money and you feel that your business is thriving because of the money you have, but then you have a contraction, whether it's because of normalcy, a return to a competitive landscape, the unknown factors that I had, uh, unforeseen factors that I had referenced a little while ago. It's all about planning. And the, the better you plan and the more proactive you are, the better prepared you are 
to manage headwinds that may come your way. I was interested in that example that you just gave, actually, because what that guy was doing was not planning himself. He wasn't controlling himself because he didn't have the experience to do it. And I think this is very true with a lot of businesses and exactly why I was in the US with my business. So do you think actually seeking that professional advisor help is is the right thing for businesses to do and not leaving it until they're sort of falling off a cliff. It's actually getting a restructuring expert in much earlier in the in the game. A restructuring expert or someone who who, if you're not knowledgeable in the in the management of uh, you know, I use finances loosely, but someone who can help you navigate a direction so that you stay on sure footing and that you're as prepared as you as you can be to uh, navigate an unsettled period. And the example I gave, the owners of that company did actually hire a financial advisor, not because they were in distress, but because they knew where their weakness was as business owners. And to address that weakness, they hired an expert who now helped them navigate through a choppy period where they saw business contract as the competitive landscape in their sector uh, has increased and they're doing good business. And they have money because they they planned with the financial advice uh, that they got from a, an on-the-ground advisor, and their business is going to be fine. Unfortunately, that's not the case with a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses believe that they can manage their own issues, manage their own problems, manage their own money, and they do so until they are at a point of distress. And look, what I like to say about my association is that a critical aspect of corporate restructuring is corporate health. You go to the doctor to make sure your heart is ticking fine. Occasionally, businesses should have a checkup just in the ordinary course of their lives. And those, those businesses who don't because they believe that they can self-manage the headwinds that are hitting them sometimes find themselves in a period of distress that they often can't recover from. And you don't want the patient to be terminal when it often has the ability to be saved. No, absolutely. I mean, this is why we were all sitting around a table in Milwaukee, <laughs> it was to get that kind of help. And, and it was in, it was very interesting, but it is actually facing the fact that you do need to have help all the way along and not standing on your own trying to, to cope as a business owner. And I'm not sure, or, or even if you're a corporate, um, I'm not sure how many businesses think like that. Do you think it's the almost part of the role of being an advisor to educate businesses that you need to be looking at your financial health on a regular basis. Absolutely. Look, it doesn't matter what the size of the business is. All businesses are faced with difficult decisions from the mom and pop store on the corner to the public company that's wrestling with whether or not to devalue its stock shares or take a big infusion of of, of money to try to uh, sustain a, a rough period. And none of these decisions are easy, but having, having the independence of experts who are skilled in aiding with proper advices, I think is critical uh, at, at any level. And of course, when you went, particularly in the small and mid-sector business, there's a lot of emotion. And you you have to remember, we're in uncharted waters and we're coming out of a long, long period where we did not see a lot of stress in in any economy in the world virtually. 
And we were riding the glory days for almost 15 years. So, you know, the understanding that we're now in a period of very harsh stress that's going to continue in a very unsettled period is something that most people have never experienced in their personal and professional lives. So as a first-time event, a ripple in the water seems like a tidal wave. And that's, that's not an easy thing to explain. Never been through it before. You know, I, I, I've been through many, many cycles, economic cycles, and I know particularly in the profession that there's even professionals who have never had to navigate the kind of uh, choppiness that we're experiencing. Normal choppiness, yeah, a little bit. But now we're heading into a more extreme period, and there's so many new dynamics in this period that people have never seen, let alone what those of us who have lived through more normal cycles have seen. And you have a recipe for, for a lot of uh, uh, trauma. No, absolutely. And, and talking about sort of new things coming in that people aren't used to. I mean, we've cryptocurrency, something we've done another um, Nexia podcast on and, and looked at. And how do you think that's going to impact? Um, and of course, we've got Web 2 and Web 3 and, you know, all these digital changes that are moving at a huge pace as well um, in this background of sort of financial turbulence. How do you think that's going to pan out? Yeah, that's that's an awesome question because we're we're at the crossroads in a lot of respects. And think about the dynamics of of what is out there in industry and in uh, multiple professions. You have everything from baby boomers to Gen Zers, right? Yeah. And you have people who grew up with no technology and then we were thrust into technology. And now we have all this uncertainty that's affecting people who come from different perspectives of how they approach work, how they approach business, how technology impacts them, what the effect of Web3 might be in the next iteration of technology, the collapse of, of the crypto uh, and Bitcoin market. These, these things are being talked about and managed by four generations of people who come from so many different perspectives that it's very, very difficult to, to say this is the one path forward because there isn't going to be one path forward. There's going to have to be multiple paths forward, particularly with technology being such a critically important part of what life has become largely accelerated by the pandemic. And then all of the, all of the currency, no pun intended, that was put into crypto and now the collapse of the crypto market which will looks more like if it comes back, that it will be a regulated environment, which has long been talked about, and the uncertainty that lies there. And that's all on top of just the normal economic uncertainty that is existing around the globe. You talk there about the different groups of people, so the Gen Zs and the baby boomers and how we're all sort of jostling along together, um, trying to get on. And there's been a huge cultural change, particularly, I think, over the last 10 years in thinking and expectations at work. And you have made changes at, at, at TMA yourself, haven't you, and, and within your own organisation. So talk about those and what you see in terms of cultural change. I think that every generation needs to be cognizant of the generations around them and what those generations both want, need, understand, and are willing to embrace. I think for me, the pandemic taught us that there are different ways to do things. And I have to 
I have to listen to be able to effectively lead. And in listening, I heard different things. I heard the importance of technology. I heard the importance of work-life culture. I heard how the needs of younger people and in terms of what they see as the future of their professional development are different from when I was growing up. And while these are different things to balance, I think the most important lesson from where I sit as a leader of a large organization and someone who's been involved in industry and working with people of multiple generations is listen. That's our leadership. Listen, talk, uh, hear the different perspectives and come up with the best solution that you can. And that that's also core to the restructuring world, but it's core to being a good leader uh, as well. And when you're living in a time where you are effectively managing multiple generations who have lived through different things and come from different perspectives, that becomes even uh, even more important. And, and this period is even more unusual because we might be living in 2022, but we're really living in 2032 because the technology that was in front of our faces was not the technology that as a world, we were ready to adopt. But when we had to adopt it for survival during the pandemic, we did. So we pushed ourselves probably 10 years into the future. And that doesn't resonate well with everybody. And so it creates another layer of difficulty in terms of how we manage life, work, uh, our professions and business. No, absolutely. I think it really does pan out in business. You, I think the gap between the generations in business at the moment is also causing a lot of problems that is affecting um, the ability to adopt new technology and management's understanding of what youngsters are wanting to do within the office. Have you had experience of that? I mean, even within your own organisation? Absolutely. And the best example I can give is we had suffered greatly in the year of the Great Resignation. And it was a learning on, on many fronts. We, we lost a good number of people on our team. And probably many of those people were ready to move along into other positions and either were complacent or didn't know how to move along. And senior people didn't know how to move them along. But we hired back smarter. And in the hiring back smarter of largely a group of younger people, I didn't impose on them to be in the office. I said for the first six months, you are here. I would like you to be in the office three days a week to learn culture, to learn each other, to interface with, with senior team members. And you know what I saw? By not imposing on them and them adopting culture, they have gravitated to each other and they have gravitated to an environment that they are welcoming as opposed to resisting because they're not being forced into that environment. They're choosing to embrace the environment and draw from that environment, what is positive about it. And I find that incredibly uh, motivating personally. That's really good. So what are the advantages uh, for someone to join your organization? I mean, it's a big organization, isn't it? You've got a lot of people involved. So so tell us something about the organization and what, what you get from it. Yeah, the Turnaround Management Organization is a wonderful organization. It's uh, 55 chapters, 10,000 members worldwide. We are everywhere in the world. Our our brand stands out because what we are is an organization in motion. And we have the most diverse group of professionals in the corporate restructuring, uh, turnaround and corporate health space in the world. That means you can walk into any room anywhere in the world and you can meet a lawyer, a banker, a financial advisor, a private equity 
a person, an auctioneer, a real estate person. And joining all of these people together is the essence of thought leadership, is the essence of networking, is the essence of education and learning from each other. And the pandemic, as horrible as it was for the world, was actually a blessing in disguise for the organization because through technology, we were able to join professionals from around the world, from our many chapters, in a more seamless way. So from a networking point of view, you could have coffee in New York in the morning and Zoom on to a networking education session in France in the, in the evening. And we've joined chapters. Best example is our Chicago, Detroit, and German chapters joined for a webinar on automotive because those areas have a nexus to automotive and over 300 people from around the world joined and then had a networking experience aside from all the in-person opportunities that exist. So the organization provides education, provides networking, provides connectivity, but it's always actionable. It's always about bringing people together. It's about elevating each other and mentoring each other and sharing with each other and being better together for each other. And that's why our brand power is, is so strong all around the world. And from those sessions, what are the three top tips for advisors across the world that, that you would give now, having heard so many people talk? And then in, in no order of preference. First, know this is a new landscape and that few have been through what we're going through before. Not only because of what I said earlier about uh, it's been a long time since we've, we've had a, a rocky road, but the expectation of what this unsettled period was going to be is not what it is, and it's a lot more unsettled. So uh, people coming into it who've never experienced it before need to be patient about uh, what this new landscape is about. And that's number two, be patient. There's going to be a lot of emotions and a lot of uncertainty, and you're not going to have all the answers. You are the doctor, the surgeon that needs to give best advices based on best information. So be patient, listen, learn. And lastly, be honest and realistic about outcomes. Everybody wants a business to survive, but not all businesses are going to survive. Uh, some need to be put to rest. Some will be sold. Some will succeed in their restructuring. And that's going to be a combination of the circumstances that a, a business is in um, and, the, and, and how the business came to where it is. And if it, as we talked earlier, planned well or waited until it was too late. And so, uh, like I said, the, the last piece of advice was be honest about the outcome. Don't give people false hope if it's not there, but do everything in your power to, to help heal the patient. That's great, Scott. Honestly, this has been really good, really interesting. I really appreciate your time today. I'm sure others will have found this really helpful as well. So thank you. Becca, you're awesome. This is, was really enjoyable and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have spoken with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. This podcast was brought to you by the Nexia Turnaround Restructuring and Insolvency Business Group. The group was formed to bring together financial, legal and operational expertise from across the Nexia network to support global clients and international business at times of operational challenges and financial distress. If you want to get in touch with any of our speakers, then please click the link accompanying this podcast or visit the Nexia website. 
All views expressed in this podcast are individual opinions and do not constitute professional advice. You're advised to seek professional advice if you want to see how an issue applies to your own situation.